Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. All you need is love. I see what you did there. Yep. Yep. Do you remember the song, What is Love? Baby, Don't Hurt Me? Yep. Uh, can't separate that from the head movement. Yeah. The, the, uh, the what's his face and the other guy. Yep. Yeah, those uh, two guys. Him, him, you, me, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> our uh, our soccer team would come out onto the field to that song. Why? Your I have no idea. Soccer team, but we did. What on earth? Yeah, I don't understand. Maybe that could be your walk up song when you go to preach. What <laughs> <laughs> is love, baby? Don't hurt me. Uh, don't take. Uh, don't even say it. I will cover it. I'll thanks, take care man. of it. I will make sure it happens. I appreciate that. Why He's, don't pastors have a walk up song? Um, probably a lot of reasons why pastors don't have a walk-up okay, song. Okay, let's be more specific. Why don't you have a walk-up song? <laughs> probably a lot of reasons why I don't have a walk-up song. I would be happy to pick several of them for you. <laughs> and then every week, we just don't know. Listen, if you're walking, if you're going to a church where the pastor's a walk-up song, that's red flag number one. Well, no, I, no, I take that I back. There's probably been a lot flag. of other red flags Come before on. you get to that point. Well, okay, there's there's bumpers sometimes. Is that, is that a red flag when there's a bumper to the sermon? Well, a walk-up song is usually like amped up about the individual and and that's the thing it depends on what you're what you're what you're playing well yeah but my job as the preacher is to get out of the way of the the text the text is what's memorable not the preacher yeah but if you went up there and the song's like let me brag on my god yeah but jordan armstrong yeah my god yeah okay there you go there's my walk-up song jordan armstrong that's not the only one that may be one of the ones but i think there's so many songs we could utilize man this is gone what is love would be one of them yeah hey uh, it's Sunday, by the way, and so we hope that you're at church listening to preaching by somebody who didn't have a walk-up song this morning. Unless it was Pastor PJ, <laughs> Compass Bible Church, North Texas. Yeah, well, hey, it's a big day in the life of Compass Bible Church, North Texas, because this is our first communion service today. It's like a baby taking some of his first steps. Yeah, the, there are uh, there are really two ordinances that, as the evangelical church, we practice and uh, this is one of them communion it's a it's a big one and this is our first time doing it as a church i'll be preaching a message if you haven't been yet or if you already have then you already know this but i'll be preaching a message out of first corinthians chapter 11 and we'll be hopefully taking a deep dive into to why communion matters because it can become that thing that we just always do mm-hmm. and uh and loses its significance but um we're going to take some time and, and really focus in on why it matters this week. This will be interesting. Yeah. I, the shared cup and the bread, that was a bold move on your part. Yeah. Well, you know, COVID's in the, the rearview mirror, so, so I figured we could have the common cup. and You know, and especially going with that that 44-ounce cup from Bucky's, I thought that was brilliant. Well, all things to all men. That's right. Contextualizing. That's exactly what yeah. we're doing. With Dr. Pepper. <laughs> could you imagine? <laughs> I can't. We're not doing that. Just if your church has a walk-up song, you may have a Bucky's cup of Dr. Pepper for the the uh, communion service. Are you saying I could do this? If I gift you a walk-up <laughs> song, I bring a big old 44 ounce of Dr. Pepper. No, no, no. Hey, let's get to the uh, scripture for today. We're in Proverbs chapters three and four. Let's do it. And we are in First Corinthians 13. Proverbs chapter three is uh, again picking up the theme of the the father to the son, and that's common throughout the book. But it's explicitly stated in so many instances, and it is here uh, multiple times in chapter three. You have it in, in uh, verse one there. You have it again over in verse twenty one. Um, you have it back up in verse eleven. So it's it's undeniable that this is a father's instructions to his sons, which is tragic when we think about the life of Solomon's sons. Because they, 
they didn't really uh, knock it out of the park when it comes to uh, walking wisely, so to speak. Mm. Um, when you think about Rehoboam and uh, the division with Jeroboam and everything that, that fell out after that. Um, in fact, it was the rejection of wisdom that led to all that. But Solomon was doing his part to try to impart wisdom to his sons. And one of the things that he says, and this would factor into his son's life in, in what we were just talking about is verses five and six, and this are really five through eight. And this is a, a familiar passage, one of the more familiar passages in the book of Proverbs, but it's the one that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways, all your paths, acknowledge him and he will make those paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And so here you have the the warning to be humble and to seek the Lord's guidance, not just in some things, but in everything, in all of your ways, seek the Lord in all of your ways, acknowledge him to acknowledge him. What does that mean to acknowledge God in all of our ways? I, I think it's that what comes to mind is in the new Testament when Paul says that we are to pray without ceasing that concept, that understanding of we are always dependent upon God. There's nothing that we are in autopilot or cruise control where it's just us, that we don't need God in this, that it's it's just us in this situation. And so Solomon's encouraging us to acknowledge God in everything that we do. How do you think that functions? I don't know. And in a very practical, so verse five, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Okay. That's a pretty strong statement. How how is how is that applied in I don't know buying a home or marrying a bride or or a husband as the case may be um, when it looks like this on top of everyday life? Yeah, give us an example. Well, I think step number one is making sure that you have a steady and constant intake of the Word of God. It, the the more the Word of God is is being. Uh, is having an influence in your life, the more naturally you are going to make decisions that are in keeping with his will for your life and not in your own understanding. We, when we drift from the word, when we cut the word out, we are, are more likely to make fleshly decisions or decisions based on our own wisdom than we are according to God's wisdom. When we are, are thinking th- the thoughts of God after him by studying the word, memorizing the word, meditating on the word, then as we come to buy a house or make a decision, maybe one of your kids is getting ready to go to college and you, you say, well, how do I make the, the decision to go to college? Well, I think, if, if you're seeking counsel, which the book of Proverbs is going to talk about, there's wisdom and an abundance of counselors. So I think that's an important step for Christians. But then beyond that, if this is not a sinful situation, either way, you could go to this college or that school and neither one is a sinful choice. And you've examined the motives of your heart and you, to the best of your knowledge, would not say that your motives are sinful in choosing one over the other then you have freedom, I think, to make that decision in the Lord. And if you have been leaning into your relationship with the Lord, that's where our confidence comes to say, we can have a, a, a trust that we are walking in accordance with what his desires are for us, even when it's not explicitly stated in the scripture, buy this house, go to that school, marry this person. That's helpful. There's so many decisions to make. I think it's it, we can get paralyzed by indecision yeah. because you're like, well, what is a, does the Lord want me to drive a Tesla or a, an Accord? You know which which one should I get, and which one honors God the most? And, and there's 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 some specific situation. <laughs> it's one that came to mind recently. Uh, but yeah, those challenges are. It's like okay, well, what does Proverbs three have to say about that? Well, I right. think your point is well taken. Right. In the rest of chapter three, verses thirteen and following, he's really stressing to his son the importance of wisdom and how valuable it is. Nothing you desire can compare with her. How about that in verse fifteen? Nothing that you desire compares with the wisdom of God. 
And then he talks about the Lord founding the earth by wisdom, by his understanding, he established the heavens. We're going to see this more explicitly in chapter eight. Um, but wisdom is, is often uh, said to be part of God's creative activity in bringing creation into being. He's encouraging his son in verse 21 through 23 to, to keep wisdom because it's a life for his soul and he will walk securely and his foot will not stumble. Again, this idea of life is another repeated theme that will come up throughout the book of Proverbs. Long years, many years, long life. Are we to take that literally or metaphorically? And and I think in most cases, metaphorically, we're to, we're to take it literally that, <laughs> that, that the general principle is if we are living wisely, according to the principles of God's word, that, that there's a safety therein that's going to keep us from an early end. Otherwise, is that, can I say that's universally true across the board? No, people get sick, people die, tragedies happen, accidents happen, but by and large, walking and living our lives in accordance with the wisdom of God is, is safe for us. Yeah, and that, that really goes back to some of the questions we asked at the beginning of this book. Are, are these promises? No, not really, but they are God's word about how to skillfully live a godly life. And therefore, when you do these things, you should expect that there will be benefits to that, especially with with and for those who are in the covenant community. So for those who are Christians, especially for Israel, this was true. For Christians, this is all the more true because we are under the protective cover of God's grace and his favor. And when we live wisely, God blesses them mm. like a good dad would. Mm. Well, look back up real quick at 11 and 12. Uh, I don't want to skip over this because what happens when we're not walking in wisdom? Well, when the Lord is is uh, kind towards us, we experience his discipline in verse 11. Do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof for he reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. That may sound familiar to you. Hebrews chapter 12, verses five and six, uh, pick up those themes and apply them to the believer's life as well. And so Solomon is, is drawing that principle out. The writer of Hebrews then takes it and applies it to the church as well. Chapter four, then we get more of the instruction from the dad to the son as he's imploring his son, look at verse five, get wisdom, get insight. I always thought that was funny, the, the way it's translated. The beginning of wisdom, verse seven is this, get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Mm. It's, it's you know, what, what is that thing that you want right now? You're anticipating, you're thinking about the new iPhone event is about to be launched in September and you're thinking, man, I can't wait till I get, you're shaking your head now. You don't want one. I, I was thinking of a Texas Twinkie actually. T- okay, from Hutchins. That's what came to my mind, man, yes. I just, I want to get a Texas Twinkie. I want a Texas yeah. Twinkie. Clarify that for our, our non-Hutchins oh, audience. I hope you're not hungry right now because if you're not, uh, you're about to be. Um, okay, so a Texas Twinkie. This is a wonderful creation from Hutchins Barbecue down the block from where we are. So if you come and visit us, maybe we can take you there and you can buy us all around. Uh, <laughs> it's a, it's basically a, 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 what do you call it, a popper? A jalapeno popper? Yeah. It's got jalapeno uh, covered with a bacon, uh, bacon-wrapped jalapeno with cream cheese and brisket. And brisket. And something sweet. Oh, barbecue. Yeah. And barbecue, you know, covered in barbecue sauce. It is to die for. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, Texas Twinkie. So you want a Texas Twinkie. So you're thinking, man, whatever I get, I want to get a Texas Twinkie. You mm-hmm. desire it. I do. It consumes your thoughts. You start thinking about it and everything else pales in comparison. I do kind of think about it all the time. Yeah, like you get a, a, a something else that is fine and it tastes fine and it's good and it's decent, but then you're you're going, yeah, but it's not that, it's right? Not Texas Twinkie, yeah. That's our mindset with the wisdom of God, or at least it should be. We should desire it so much that the substitutes were like, okay, there, there may be benefit to the knowledge that the world can offer us. And, and it, we're not saying we're hermits and we're going to retreat from all of the wisdom the world might offer, but we're going to say there's a better wisdom. There's a better product out there that we should desire above that. And that's the wisdom of God, the wisdom of his word. That's where true insight comes. That's right. 
he repeats this idea. Look at verse 10 that we just talked about. Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. And he's not talking about eternal life here because if he was, he wouldn't say the years of your life will be many because the years of your life eternally will be unending. So he's talking about our actual physical lives and he's saying there's 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 wisdom and there's a wise way to live and it's it's a good thing to do um he contrasts that with the wicked and he he said in in pursuing wisdom don't don't venture into the path of the wicked we're going to talk about that with regards to the adulteress in the next chapter but for now he's saying look at verse 16 the wicked can't sleep until they have done wrong they're robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble and that is just a, a nasty depiction of people, right? Of the, the lost of, and, and some people are like that. They're just after, they're, they're the people that like to watch the world burn, right? And that's yep. what we see there in, in, in uh, that description in verse 16. But the path of the righteous, in contrast, is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the day. Verse 23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Pastor Rod, what does the heart represent for us? The heart is the center, the center point of the person. So it doesn't represent only the emotions, as we tend to think about in Western culture. The heart references the the entirety of the person. It's a, another synecdoche. It's when the part refers to the whole. In this case, the heart um, can mean the soul, can mean the, the inner man, the life, the thinking. It, it, in fact, the heart in all of Scripture is a thinking organ. It's also a feeling organ. It's also a volitional organ. So it encompasses and encapsulates everything that makes you who you are. So when the Scripture says to keep it or to guard it, to shamar your heart, it's saying to to protect it, not to be uh, not to be reckless with it, mm. not to just kind of throw it here or throw it there and let it be exposed to all manner of ugliness and sin, but to protect it like you would fine china or like you would a, a young child, a, a young kid. You'd want to guard it from being injured and being done violence to. And the scripture says that you should do the same thing with your heart because from it, from the heart, the centerpiece of your your person and your being, that's where everything else is going to come from. Jesus says a lot of similar things in the New Testament, but that's kind of it in a nutshell. Yeah. And how do we do that? Verses 20 and 21 inform us in that my son be attentive to my words incline your ear to my sayings let them not escape from your sight keep them within your heart there's the idea there the, the word of god in the heart psalm 119 how can a young man keep his way pure we've seen it elsewhere the, the word of god has a preserving effect on us because it keeps us walking after the lord and keeps us walking in integrity mm-hmm. well let's jump over to first corinthians chapter 13 with the love chapter okay pop quiz how many love songs can you name right now go what is love love song for a savior stop in the name of love that's all i got um what's that song about loving people like a sandwich what um or no no, no. <laughs> it's frozen um the, the song where the girl falls in love with the guy and they're like oh what's the same what's this the, say the same thing at the same time and they say sandwiches and they're like, that's what I was going to say. Love is an open door. That's the one. Yeah. How why do, why did you, you know why did you put that in my how head? How do you know that? I don't, because I have a daughter and I didn't. Don't I, blame Annie. I okay? had not thought about own that it. for own it. years. And I can you. see your frozen t-shirt underneath your sweater right now. Well, I try to keep it covered, but sometimes well, it, it sneaks out. When it's bright pink and light blue, it's not hard to see or to miss. Okay. Well, let's talk about the Bible. So this chapter, I think, is super relevant for us. Not that you, you don't already know this, but I think our culture is obsessed with love. Well, that was, that was my point in bringing up the songs. Yeah. Everything, I mean, just think about any song on the radio. Throw a rock in any direction, you're going to hit a love song. Love song, love song, love song. There was, a, there was a radio station in California dedicated to love songs, uh, or at least a, several was hours. The love songs on the coast, 103.5. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the love songs, love songs, love songs. How is love different 
in the in the way that God understands it, actually the way that God defines it. Because what's no, love got to do with it? That's another one. That's not what I was saying, but yes, that's the idea. So yeah. as you're talking through First Corinthians, can't buy 13, me love. Help us understand love <laughs> in God's economy versus love in the human economy. You know, a lot of you probably had this this chapter or at least a portion of it read at your wedding. Um, some of you may have it like needle pointed above your beds if you're you know, from the that? 1990s. I was going to say, no, no one's doing that right now. <laughs> but what's so interesting is, is this is not a marriage chapter. It's a chapter written to the church. It's in the description of love here. Uh, it's patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy, boast. It's not arrogant or rude. does not insist on its own way. This is a unique kind of love. This is a love that is different from the world's love. This is a love that's not about self, but about other people. This is a love that overflows from our love from God. This is a love that overflows from when Jesus is asked the question, teacher, what's the greatest commandment? He says to love God with all our hearts and with all our minds. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is that love. This is the love like Jesus said in the upper room when he said a new commandment I give to you that you love others as I have loved you. This is the love that Jesus meant when he said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, one another, this is what that love looks like. And it should be taking place within the walls of the church. So is it wrong to have this at your wedding? No, because if this is the standard for the church, how much more is it the standard for us as husband and wives? Mm-hmm. And I remember one of my seminary seminary profs said, if you want a convicting exercise, take the word love out and put your name in place and ask yourself, could you say that? Could you say PJ is patient? PJ is kind. PJ does not envy or boast, is not arrogant, so forth and so on. And, and he said that that needs to be how we think about this, that we want to embody this kind of love as Christians. PJ never ends. Verse eight. <laughs> yeah, don't, I don't I see don't, that, bro. I don't, I don't think he meant to go that far. Okay. With it. I think it just meant, uh, yeah, whatever. And don't forget, chapter 13 is between verse uh, chapters 12 and 14. Um, that's the obvious part, but maybe the less obvious thing because of these chapter divisions, we forget that the context is Paul chastising the Corinthians for flouting their gifts, flaunting and flouting and flautaunting, fluting, fluting their gifts. (laughs) And and, and it's not, it's not here with angelic songs and it's not meant to be understood as like, Oh, this is under kind of, kind of nice. Paul is subtly and maybe not so subtly kind of rebuking them. Like, guys, this is what love should look like in the congregation. When you're exercising your gifts, when you're eating the communion meal, this is what it should feel like. This is the characteristic it should have. So mm-hmm. don't forget that. We're about to jump back into the gifts because Paul's not done talking about it. Right. This is a, a diversion that's meant to say, guys, this is what it should be. Right. In the name of love. That's a, another name, one by you two. Yeah. Yeah. That one. Can you feel the love tonight? I can. See, see what you did. You did this. This is is your fault. The the point is our culture is obsessed with love. It is, but love never ends, but other things do do end. And that's where he goes. He says, uh, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, verse eight, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Now, we have to do some exegetical work here. So track with me for a second. Verse nine, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Okay, what is the perfect? for a long time, people would say, well, the perfect is the canon. So once the canon, meaning the the Bible, the 66 books that make up our Bibles, once the canon was closed, was completed, we no longer needed these other things. And so they've passed away. They have ceased. They've gone away. That is neat and tidy if that were the case, because it fits with the cessationist view of saying, hey, these things are are done. Uh, Because like we said in the past, the the tongues and the miracles and the signs were were given to to validate the message. The miracle validates the message. But that's not what the the perfect here means. It's got to mean something more than that. And what it seems to be, if we look at verse 11, 
um, or verse 12, rather, it seems to be that that he's referencing the appearance of, of Christ when we are fully known, when we are, are know fully and are fully known is, is when we'll be with Jesus. So what is he saying here? Is he saying that these things are continuing, that we should expect them in continuation until Jesus comes? Well, let's look at back, back at verse eight. At verse eight, he says, as for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Okay, so there we know, undoubtedly, there's an end to tongues. Okay, that's that's stated right there in the text. The question is when. We as cessationists would believe, well, it's happened already, that it's no longer in operation. It was used, as I've said before, by the early church to, to spread the gospel as far and as wide as possible. That was one of the main purposes. There were others, but that was one of the main purposes. Now we have the scripture. Now we have translators like Wycliffe and others that are getting the Bible out far and wide. Tongues is not in normative operation within the church today. But what about verse nine? For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Does the partial refer all the way back to tongues? Okay. Admittedly, it's debated. It, it, there are some that would say, yes. Yeah. So the partial, since the partial has, the perfect's not here, meaning Jesus has not come back, then the partial is still in act in action today. And we should still expect tongues and the, these other things in, in action. But I'm going to argue, if you look at verse nine, we know in part and we prophesy in part. So notice tongues is not connected, connected to what is happening in part. In the next verse, in verse 10, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So the partial being knowledge and prophecy. So you may be throwing the flag saying, well, what about prophecy? Well, it depends on what we're talking about with regards to prophecy. And we're going to hit that more in tomorrow's section of the DBR, but prophecy being that which builds up the church and edifies the church. For a time during the book of Acts, that looked like foretelling. And we see that, for example, when Agabus comes and prophesies that Paul would be imprisoned or the, the, the famine that was coming. There are views of prophecy today that would say prophecy now looks like what we would refer to as preaching and teaching, that it's using the word of God, it's building up the church through the the exposition of the word of God. But here, is it referring back to tongues? Is it referring, look, it's, it's, this is not a good proof text for either side of the argument here to go on because it is admittedly a difficult passage to handle. However, I do think there's other passages and other texts that point to the fact that we can be on solid footing with our position with regards to the cessation of the, the gifts. I guess one point I would make here is, is really just the posture that we have towards scripture. Um, sometimes we can, I remember I had, I had one student in my youth ministry and I said, dude, you got to read your Bible. I already read it one time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All oh. right. I guess you're done then. Oh, okay. <laughs> the more you read scripture, the more complexity and not that it's God being complex and difficult to understand. Really it's us and not him. But the more we see, the, the more you, the more you look, the more you see, the more you see, the more you scratch your head and say, I don't, I don't know how to put those pieces together. And, and I guess between the two of us, Pastor PJ and myself, we have a couple years of education under our belt, but that doesn't really change the fact that scripture is challenging. Um, and even, even Peter said of Paul's writings, there are many things that he writes about that are difficult to understand. I wonder if Peter maybe read the book of first Corinthians and, and came to the same conclusion we did. There are some things that are difficult to understand. Let me encourage you not to see issues like this or questions like this as being discouraging. They, they draw you in. They cause you to lean in further and say, well, okay, what is God saying? What is he trying to get us to understand here? If you see this the right way, this will deepen and further your study and not discourage it. It should have the exact opposite effect. It should cause you to draw in and say, I want to learn more. I want to learn the original languages, perhaps. I need to buy myself a couple commentaries to help me think more deeply about the Word of God. And would that everyone do that? Because the more you study, the more you're rewarded. 
Right. And let's not forget the point of this chapter too. The point of this chapter is not about tongues and knowledge and prophecy. The point of this chapter is love never ends. Love is that thing that is going to continue for all of eternity for us. And unfortunately, things like this have led to so much more divisiveness in the church than they're intended to. And that's exactly what Paul is arguing against here. He's arguing, hey, look, this is what we need to focus. We need to love each other. And that needs to be our, our humble posture towards other people, other believers that believe and think differently than we do as well. So we'll catch you again tomorrow, though, for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. See you tomorrow. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.